everybody. Let me fix this up a little bit. Is this good? How's everybody doing today? Good. Good to see you. It's kind of weird. This is really loud. I feel like my voice is like booming. All right. I just have this stand for my cold brew because it's very important to me, for those of you that know me. Um, good morning. Um, welcome to all of you. Uh, that are here today. My name is Jonathan. If I haven't met you, I've met so many of you. This is the first opportunity they've given me uh, to hold the microphone, metaphorically. Um, they know, actually, that, number one, I can't have a stool, because if I have a stool, I'm going to sit, and I'm going to just talk, like, forever. Um, and that they had to put a clock in the back, because... <laughs> Jamie knows. <laughs> Rachel knows too, because <laughs> I'm just going to talk. Uh, so um, one thing about me, one thing about my teaching style, preaching style, is that really I want this time to be a time where I share with you, and I'm going to be as honest as I can be, and I'm going to talk to you like we're in a conversation. That's kind of how I felt like God was saying today. I'm going to talk to you like I'm talking to you, Mike, directly. <laughs> Uh, and anything I say, uh, I just say, like, you're welcome to come up and talk to me. Afterwards, there's things that I may say that you may want to have a conversation about, and I'm open and here and available as well as, I'm sure, Stefan and others, others too. But this is going to kind of be like a, a one-way conversation, but I want it to be a conversation, if that kind of makes sense. So today, um, how many of you know what series that we're in right now? Rachel knows, I, Bill knows, Jamie knows. Um, we are in a series right now called The Many Faces of a Leader. Um, and this is kind of like falling into the bigger spectrum of discipleship, which we, we've been talking about for like the last couple months. And I'll have you go to the first slide. Cool. Today, uh, I'm going to be going over the compassionate leader. Uh, and we're going to get into some fun stuff. Before that, let's go to the next slide. Um, I'd just like to recap a little bit. Um, the last couple weeks, well, let me say it this way. Um, Stefan has kind of taken us through what a leader is. Uh, we've we've kind of given a number of definitions. One of the things that we've said is a leader is someone who has influence. And we started with this definition to say, how many of us are leaders in that definition of a leader? All of us are leaders in that definition of a leader. Um, a couple weeks ago, Stefan took us through the leader maker, and he took us through the story of Barnabas and how Barnabas poured his life into Paul. Barnabas hoped and uh, would hope for people and give himself to the extent that, uh, you know, in, in some sense he would lose his identity to see that others go further and become who God has created them to be. Jack, uh, thank you, Jack preached on the experiential leader. And he, oh, thank you, man. That's just like the glory of God right there. <laughs> You guys are feeling it too, right? Someone's like, hey, get the, get the fuzz out of the background. Uh, uh, Jack preached on the experiential leader, and we went over Hebrews 11. <laughs> You're killing us. Okay, Tim's working on it. Thank you, Tim. Jack preached on the experiential leader, um, and this was Hebrews 11 and 12, and really about the great cloud of witnesses and how it's important for us in the faith even to walk in obedience, and there's a place that each of us has to learn from one another as we've been through different things. 
And what was very great and wise about what Jack did is he paired us up with people who, who he's known that has been through things to really gain some of their experience and wisdom as we develop a relationship in that area. Um, Brother Tim, this gentleman to my left, uh, spoke on the servant leader last week and really the difference between the hired hand and the shepherd and how the shepherd gives his life and really invests uh, into the sheep uh, where the hired hand is just doing a job, just making a wage. So we've talked a couple, like I said, we've kind of given this broader definition of leadership where leadership is uh, anyone who influences. Um, Tim, I want to quote Tim exactly because I liked what he said. Um, Tim said that leadership is an influencing process. He had a quote. I liked it. Anytime you're trying to influence the thinking, behavior, or development of another, you are engaging in leadership. I like that. One of the things that, as I was kind of praying through this, one of the things that God kind of spoke to me was that everybody's a leader, but not everybody takes responsibility for their leadership. And I want to explain that a little bit. I'd say one of the things he brought into my mind right away is parents. So parents, and I'd say we could say this about like, a, let's say you're a manager at work or, I don't know, a pastor or something like that. <laughs> um, you have people looking at you. You have people observing you. You have people, whether you choose to believe it or not, that are seeking to imitate to be in relationship with you. They're imitating you. Or they're seeking to adjust in some way or another to please you. And I think that this is a fact of life. We all have people around us that are looking at us and looking at the way that we do things. And children is a great example because you can't choose what they pick up with what you do. They just pick up what you do. And so I think, this, uh, I think there's, a, there's a fact of the matter is, is that we have influence and that we are influencing people and people are being influenced by our actions and by our words and by you know, our tones and personalities, et cetera, all the time. And I think sometimes we don't take quite the amount of responsibility to say, okay, you are learning from me, you're observing me, and I take that as my personal choice to represent Jesus or God or the things that we've learned, and we're going to get into some of that too. Uh, but I take responsibility for your, um, your impact, my impact on your life. And um, I think one of the things, okay, I'm going to move on to my next point. Um, one of the things, as I was going through this, is uh, I think one of the things that makes us hard sometimes uh, to take that responsibility and really see. I think we're in a process of discipleship to discover we're doing many faces of a leader. I like all these different faces here because all these different faces are leaders, if we just kind of metaphorically think about it. And in this process of discipleship, even in this process of who God's created us to be and the call and the influence that he's given us, it is for us to see who God's created us to be as a representation of him, who God's created us to be as an expression of his character, right? We're going to be talking about the compassionate leader, which is very character-based today. So we want to see... Um, I, I think this is kind of a more personal thing that we work out through relationship to say, well, who, you know, who's being impacted by your influence? What does your voice mean? What do these actions mean? How do we step into that place where you, do you want God for them? What do you want for them? How do, you, how do you go through that process of influencing their thinking and their behavior? 
And this happens, like I said, I think in a healthy way in discipleship as we kind of come under the Lord and what he says. One of the things that I want to ask us today, um, I think on the other side of influencing and the topic of influencing is being influenced. And I want to ask us a question, if you could go to the next slide and to the next slide, is who or what do you follow? Because I think this is a really important thing when we're talking about leadership. I would say, even though all of us are influencers, and I would say all of us have a place to lead, and God's given us all a calling and a place to represent him as a piece of him, is there's also a place where all of us are following someone or something. And I was going to say, like any of you young people in here that have like Twitter or Instagram, you're following someone, right? You're following something. And it's just like, what do they represent? Why do you follow them? Because sometimes we follow people, but we really follow what they represent, right? You know, it's like basketball players or, or, or pop singers or et cetera, et cetera. It's just like we follow or, or political pundits. We follow what they represent. And I want us really just to think about this for a sec. Who do you follow? Why do you follow them? What is it about them that you follow? I just want to pause for a sec. Let's let us think about it. One of the things that, um, as I was going through this, I felt like God was taking me through a couple passages in Isaiah. I mean, God kind of just speaks to me, so all these Bible verses come into my mind, and then he asked me, like, really hard, definitive questions. Like, a big part of my relationship with God, especially at the beginning, is him giving me questions that I would either have answers to or not have answers to, and it would kind of shake my perception of things and shake really, in some ways, how I would feel about particular topics. So one of the things, kind of as going through this, he says, I felt like God was just saying, you become what you behold. And in this place, uh, we, we look at an Isaiah, and we look at some of these other places where the, the idols or the things that we idealize or the things that we love will become like it. The trends that we will follow, we will adopt it the ideals that we have, we will embody the principles around those ideals. And this is just for us to kind of flesh out because I think we are meant to be influenced, but I think this is for us to flesh out too. Like, are we, are we leaders? Are we followers? I would say we're both, but it's just like, how are we leading? How are we following? As much as this, this uh, series is about many faces of the leaders, if we don't ask these questions to one another and kind of get, get in each other's faces about it, you know, metaphorically speaking, then we can't really flesh out, well, what does this mean? How do we internalize this? How do we personalize this? How does this apply to us? We can look at the compassionate leader, and there's a lot of things I'm going to say today that, about the compassionate leader. I think you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's pretty simple. But I think for us to really internalize, well, what is this, the, 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 uh, the heart and the purpose of this series meant to really instigate in, in us, I think it forces some of these questions about what we follow and what we idealize about that and what we're called to represent, what we're called to express. I'll say for me, and I'm just going to say this one thing and we're going to move on from this. For me, my dad, you know, when I was young, probably 16 years old, he gave me the seven habits of highly effective people. He's like, read this book. He gave me 
John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Readership. He's like, read this book, let's talk about it. So for me, I grew up, really it's the principles for me, I grew up idealizing. Hey, if you do these things, if you look at it this way, if you work out these things, then this is what effective leadership is all about. How God's created me to be and who God says I am is a little bit different than all the principles that I can internalize and just do, 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 do. And I think in this place, uh, I kind of have to see the past and I have to see, you know, what I've been raised by and some of those ideals. None of, none of those are necessarily wrong, but I also have to hear what God's saying. It has to be a, an intimate, personal relationship with God where I'm challenged, even emotionally and how I love versus intellectually and what I can do, if that makes sense. Let's uh, go to the next slide. And so really, I mean, this is kind of like what I'm saying. Um, I think for all of us, um, well, let me say it this way. Um, when we look at the scriptures, one of the things that God says, uh, you know, he kind of paints the kingdom of God and he paints the world. And he says the rulers of this world are going to do these different things. You know, they're going to take from you, they're going to take advantage. And he says the kingdom of God is, is going to be a servant, you know, kind of like what Tim went over last week, is going to serve you. And I think um, when we go through this, when we're going through the different faces of a leader, one of the things in the Old Testament that it says is it says that God is going to give us righteous leaders. He's going to reinstill righteous judges. He's going to give us good shepherds. It says he personifies peace and says peace is going to be your leader and righteousness is going to be your ruler. And in this place, like part of recognizing some of these things is also recognizing who's been given to us. We talked about Barnabas and the leader maker. We talked about people, Jack talked about people with experience in the faith that they've been given to us really to help us on this journey of becoming who God's created us to be. And we are meant to follow them. And I put this slide up because I think we we have to ask those questions to ourselves too. Who has been given us to, to follow by God? And how do they represent the kingdom? And how are we meant to come under their leadership and receive their influence? How are we meant to be influenced to grow into the people of influence that we've been created to be? Sound good? Okay, we're going to shift now. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, now, um, we're going to talk about a little bit about the Good Samaritan. Um, I may have somebody come up. Uh, well, I'll, I may have someone volunteer to read this for us because give me a break from reading a bunch of stuff. But... Um, um, instead of giving us a definition of the compassionate leader, I really want to look at this story, and we're going to look at this story a little bit differently, I would hope, than maybe some of you have heard it uh, spoken on or preached in the past. Um, so if I could have somebody who would l- has a wonderful, beautiful, elegant, soft, clear reading voice to come up and read this passage for us, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Tara? No? Tara. No, Tara. Just joking. I'm just, it's Tara's first day here. I won't, I won't put her on blast or put her on spot. I did. Okay. David, come read this for us, brother. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open up to it. I don't have it up on the screen. Um, I feel like this is going to be a pretty familiar passage for us, but I would like us to follow along because we are going to take some key points from it. Good morning, everyone. This is NLT version. 
Luke 10. But if a town, Luke 10, 25, 37, right? 25. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish Jewish man (laughs) was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn when he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If this bill runs high, higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes. Now go and do the same. Thank you, my brother. Okay. Boop. All right. Thank you, David. Very good. Very good job. Um, I would like you guys, we're going to go a little bit into the story, but I'd just like you to start thinking about, thinking about the people that you, that have had compassion on you in your life, but that you know to be compassionate people in your own stories, in your own experience. Who has shown you compassion? What has that experience been like? How did it feel like? How did they give themselves? How are they like the Good Samaritan? I'm going to go over a couple of points, but I'm going to ask, we're going to have a little bit of time of testimony here in a, in a couple minutes, but I'm going to ask people to share it too, because I'd, I'd love to hear, I think, um, in seeing the value of what God's given us, it's hearing that, that this new thing that the world may not value is all around us. I'm going to say that in a different way. There's parts of compassion and care that I would argue the world does not value. And to see how beautiful and good this is and to take to heart what has been given to us by God, it is good for us to testify. It is good for us to hear. It is good for us to receive anew. It is good for us to see God actively working in this way that the world may deem soft or insignificant. Okay, so we're going to go through a couple points on this. Um, How many of you guys have heard this story before? Cool, wonderful. Um, A couple things, I mean, I've heard this story preached a lot of different ways. This was very, like, subversive of Jesus to use a Samaritan at that time. At that time, it would be kind of like, you know, you're in the Cold War and you're talking about the good communist, and telling a story about, you know, a communist who's, 
you know, in our fear of what they represent and express has done something kind or generous or loving for a capitalist, for example. Or it's like going to, you know, New York City after 9-11 and saying, you know, this is a good, this is a good Muslim or someone who's from an Arab background. So it's very subversive. Jesus was saying something uh, very subversive uh, in this. Can we go to the next slide? I can't remember which one it is. Okay, perfect. So um, I'd like to say a couple things about the context of this story, and hopefully some of these details are new to you because I think they make a lot of difference to see what this act of compassion actually meant, what it took. So I'm going to kind of paint the context a little bit. One of the things that we see at the beginning of the story is that there was a man traveling on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. So this is a picture of the Wadi Kelt, and I'll just say, Jerusalem, um, if many of you know, many of you may know, Jerusalem is high up in the mountains. It was super fortified. That's why Jesus, David, captured the city of Jerusalem. It's about 2,300 feet above sea level, where Jericho is down by the Dead Sea. And Jericho, you know, the Dead Sea is, is probably around like 1,300 feet below sea level. So within a span of 20 miles we have a 3,600 feet decline in altitude, right? So you can just imagine how steep this is. 20 miles, 3,600 feet decline in altitude. This is a picture of the Wadi Kelt, and this is, you know, this is from the Judean desert, but this is, um, this is kind of, I don't know if you guys can see with the lighting in here, if you can see just how deep that canyon is. Oh, Look at you guys. You guys are amazing back there. Uh, how deep that canyon is. You can go to the next slide. Um, this uh, is the Jericho Road, just as, as, it, as it's pointed out here. But you can see that it's super, super, uh, you know, super deep. You can go to the next slide, too. And here's the last one. It's super deep, and really, like, there's rocks and twists and turns and sharp turns and declines. I'm sure there's places where you just have to, you know, throw yourself down too. Um, so really some of these pictures, I, I'm, I'm showing these pictures because it paints how dangerous this road is. You could hide behind any of these rocks, it goes into these little crevasses and valleys, and you could jump someone easy. Um, as a matter of fact, this road has been a notoriously dangerous road, even up until, like I read, like the 19th century where you'd have to pay the local sheikh to be able to travel this road. And they call it the bloody way. Like, this road is nicknamed the Red Road or the Bloody Way because uh, people get robbed and beaten and left for dead uh, all the time. Um, so one of the things uh, we see in the story is that this traveler is traveling on the road. One of the things I think we can kind of presume about this traveler, um, number one, I would say he was, uh, for lack of better words, he was a fool. Uh, he was a fool. Uh, he was traveling alone, and he was traveling with goods. Back in that time, and he was probably doing this, he was reckless, he probably wanted to get from point A to point B very quickly, um, <clears throat> but back in that time, you would travel with caravans, especially if you had anything worth stealing. You would travel with groups of people um, down this road because you wouldn't want to get robbed. Um, so he's traveling down this road, and like I said, I think... One of the things we can take away from this is that he was reckless. He was reckless. It was a foolish endeavor for him to take on a loan. Um, the next 
character that we see in this is, the Samar- is a Samaritan. And Samaritans and Jews hate one another. Um, uh, they have different, I mean, there's lots of history behind it. You guys can Google all the history behind it. Um, but needless to say, like, a Samaritan is kind of like a half-Jew. They, the, when the Jews were exiled to Babylon, some of them stayed in the Palestine area, and some of them actually ended up marrying, like, the, the nations that the Israelites were meant to destroy, or the Assyrians. So they were kind of like half-Jews, half-Gentiles, They had their own kind of like five books of the law and their own practices, but there was no dealings between Samaritans and Jews at that time. Um, It was completely, uh, you don't talk, you don't associate. If you guys remember like Jesus and the woman at the well, um, she was a Samaritan and she said, why are you talking to me? Because there's no dealing with Jews and Samaritans. And so this Samaritan, as we kind of see through the story, um, he, you know, the, the, the other two passerbys neglect this traveler. Um, in all righthood, they, they should have helped him, but we won't go into all that. But the Samaritan is the one that stops. And really looking at the Samaritan as the one who had compassion on him, I want to draw out four points for us today just in describing what this, uh, what this consisted of. And you can go to the next side. One of the things that we see with the good Samaritan, I'll just say the Samaritan, is that he responds to the present need irregardless of cultural judgment or bias. One of the things is he saw this man as a human. He didn't see his foolishness. He didn't see his behavior. He didn't say, I mean, I think this is, a, this is one of the challenging points to me because we can, we can drive around town, and this is kind of a harder stance to it. We can drive around town, we can see people who are struggling with addictions. We can see people who are struggling, you know, they don't have a home, they're out there. And we can say, well, instead of seeing them, we could just say, well, their choices got them here. This is why they're here. Their choices got them here. It's easy to judge. It's easy to pass by and say, hey, this person's a fool. But one of the things we saw about this man, and I think for our lives we have to internalize this too, one of the things this person saw about this man is like, hey, this is, like, this is a valuable human being, number one, but he's broken. He's, gonna, he's left half dead. You know, it's basically a term to say he, he's, gonna, he's dying. And if I don't do something, basically he's like, I have to do something. I don't even know if he reasoned it. I would say he didn't reason it. He just jumped into action but he says, I have to do something. And I think there's a real humanity to this that doesn't see outward bias, judgment, cultural perspective. And it's challenging. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, there's needs that we see all the time out there, and we've been needy when we've experienced compassion. There's needs that we see all the time out there, and for one reason or another, I know for me, (laughs) I'll reason these things too. I'll be like, well, I gotta go over here. I got to make sure I get my to-do list done with this. And I may not even stop to pray about it. And some of those things are convicting, like there's room for me to grow in this because I recognize, man, I could have a lot more compassion. I could see what's needed in the person presently a lot more. Um, okay, but this, oh, good. Let's go to the next slide. So um, point number two, he responds with actions. Uh, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, 
and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Um, one of the things uh, I've been reading a little bit is on empathy the last couple of weeks, and there's this famous psychologist named Daniel Goleman. Read all this stuff. He's actually really great. Um, and he talks about three forms of empathy. One's cognitive, um, one's emotional, and one's compassionate. And one of the things he says about compassion and empathy is it sponta it's spontaneously moved to action. And I really like that term because really in this, he just didn't feel for him, right? That would be the emotional empathy. It wasn't just like, oh, this is his perspective, or man, I'm like, I feel so bad for him. You know, I guess that's the cogn cognitive side. I feel so bad that, you know, that was unfortunate. Like, I'm sorry for him. Like, you know, you just feel bad about something. But he's just like, no. He's just like, I'm getting down off my horse. I don't care. He, he may hate me. If you think about this as a Jew, if he was conscious enough, he would have resisted and squirmed and, been, and felt like he was being defiled by the Samaritan touching him. But he's just like, it doesn't matter. He, there was something that was moved within him to say, I have to do something. And I just, I want us, again, like us reflecting on the people that have had compassion on us in our lives where they've been moved to do something for us, even if we fought them. Even if we're like, I don't want you touching me. I don't want you talking to me. I don't want you caring for me. I know I have. Let's go to the next one. I put the last two points together because I think they go well together. He makes personal sacrifices and is committed to total restoration and wholeness. I think if we were to look at just the story and the text as it is and see what are the sacrifices that he makes, right? We see he makes sacrifices of his time, his resources, paying the money at the end, his assets, he puts them on his own donkey. His agenda, I think this is a big one. He makes, he sacrifices his agenda. Because for all we know, the Samaritan could have been headed the other direction. For all we know, maybe he was, he was uh, you know, one was coming down, he was coming down to Jericho, and the Samaritan was going up to Jerusalem. For all we know, he had to backtrack. And I think that agenda, agenda speaks to me. I mean, I live with Stefan and Dame, and sometimes I'm distraught, and I come home, and they're doing something, or they're preoccupied, and things change completely. They're like, okay, how are you doing? This is what I'm feeling. Let's talk about this. Let's get you cared for. This is one of the biggest places that I experience compassion is when people's agendas change for me, and it, it's starting to wake me up a little bit more than it used to. But he sacrifices. He makes personal sacrifices. He chooses to give up his time, what he does, what he needs, what's in his mind is the right thing to be spontaneously moved to action for this guy. This person is more valuable than his stuff and his time and his agenda. Uh, the fourth one, he is committed to total restoration and wholeness. And I think that this is, uh, this is an important thing where it's not just what he can do, but it's what the man needs. So it's not just, I'm going to pour oil on your, your wounds and I'm going to bind you up a little bit and I'm going to leave you. It's like, no, you need more than what I can give you and I'm going to see this through to the end. 
I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to invest in whatever time that I can give, but also if I can't give that time, I'm going to invest in somebody who can. Because what is, it, is, it, is a, it is a completeness that he's after, the Samaritan. Right? It's not just a partial. And I think when we look at this, like, we can really see Jesus in it. Jesus commits to us. He commits to our wholeness, full restoration. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm going to heal this wound from the past. I'm going to take care of this need that you had, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to leave you or let you figure out life on your own. He's just like, no. I'm going to give everything that you need to become the person I've created you to be. And I'm going to give everything that I have that you become that person and that you realize that goal. That's what I'm saying, making sense? Have you guys experienced some of that even in your relationships with God? So just as we kind of think about some of these things, and I know I've kind of gone briefly over this. You know, I'm not hammering these points down, but this is really for us to start thinking and recognizing where have we experienced this. Do we have people that we see and experience this from on a regular basis? And has God given us a compassionate leader really to restore us and make us whole? to be moved for us, right? And for our, our best. So with that, let's go to the next slide. I would love, if you guys have just been thinking, could be little examples, could be big examples, could be a life story, uh, hopefully in a short amount of time though. Uh, I'd, I'd love just to hear some of you guys, where you guys have experienced some of this, where you've experienced, and I put the four points up there even just as like a reference where you guys have experienced compassion, even as an act of compassion. I'd love it if I could have maybe one or two, maybe even three people come up and share. Rachel, come on down. The price is right. You win a car. (laughs) Yes. It's a little toy car. (laughs) It's blue. It's blue. Even better. Um, It's funny. I mean, I think I can think of many situations, right? And like everyone where we've experienced compassion, and uh, it might take everyone a little longer to think about it. But um, actually, like, even as you started talking about this, I was thinking about David, (laughs) the gentleman who came up and read the Bible today. Um, Because I think part of compassion for me, right, has to do with. Um, people, yeah, essentially not leaving you um, <laughs> where they found you. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, I even just think about, like, I can say so, ma- so many things, but I think the most important thing to say right now is I really appreciated that about David. Like, <laughs> I personally, uh, the way I grew up, you kind of let people figure things out. And one thing I appreciate about David is that he, like, he's steadfast. He never leaves your side. Uh, and that's meant a lot to me. It's... it's um, yeah, it's just challenged the way that I think about myself and about other people, and so that would be my example. Amen. Yeah, so thanks, David. Amen. Hallelujah. Give her a hand, everybody. Where's my car? Hmm? Where's your, car? Your, your car is in the mail. Oh. Oh. It better come with time. It's okay. <laughs> it will, it will. <laughs> All right, anyone else? Anyone else? And thank you. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all. Have you, none of y'all experienced compassion before? 